0: does it seem as if we are listening to an endless stream of bad news? Over the past week, there has been an individual or maybe a group of individuals who exploded bombs in London. This past week, there was a leader, a dictator of a country in the Pacific who decided he wanted to shoot a nuclear missile or at least an intercontinental ballistic missile, over the nation of Japan. Over this past week, there have been riots that have occurred in St. Louis, Missouri. And even last night, we heard the word of the passing of a sister in Christ. It seems as if all the news is bad. And yet, when we go to God's Word, we find out there's good news. There's the answer to the hatred that exists in our world. There is the answer to the end of life. There's an answer for our future. Why would anyone ever want to turn their back on the good news For just a few moments this morning, I'd like for you to take your Bibles, and let's go to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. We're going to begin at verse 12, and we're going to consider the rest of that chapter. We've been studying a series of lessons on good news to the Galatians. This morning, we're going to concentrate on two women, two sons, and two laws. By way of introduction, I want to point out to you that Paul had developed a very close bond to the Galatians. In reality, they had not only become his brethren, they had become his beloved brethren. They were his friends. They were people he cared about and they cared about him. For just a few moments, let's look at chapter 4 verses 12 through 15 and how they treated Paul. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I have become or became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of a physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. My trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me As an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. All you think about Paul as he arrived at these cities of Galatia. I don't know what Paul's ailment was. Many people have speculated perhaps it was malaria coming from Paphos. Others have speculated that Paul had some real problems with his eyesight. That may have been the case. I simply don't know the answer to that question. But what I do know is, is that they didn't despise that in Paul. You know, occasionally someone will come before us and they have a physical deformation Or maybe they have a serious illness. I think about this young lady watching her on one of the performance shows. She had been burned severely. And yet she had such a beautiful voice. And you think about how people sometimes say, I have a hard time looking at that. I have a hard time accepting it. They didn't do that with Paul. He said, you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. You opened your heart to me. You treated me exceptionally well. He said, you would have given whatever you had. You would even plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And yet, things change. Look with me now at verses 16 through twenty. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous and a good thing always. And not only when I am present with you. My little children, for I labor in birth, pain, uh, birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. The relationship is strained now. Paul says, I really wish I could be there so that there could be face-to-face interaction so that you and I could come back to a point where this loving relationship existed again. The problem is there are people who have come in and they have tried their best to separate, to conquer, and to divide. And Paul is worried that the effort that he has placed here might have been in vain. Now Paul is going to try to use several approaches to reach the Galatian brethren. He wants to change The narrative. He wants to change the attitudes. But primarily, he wants them to go back and to respect the good news that he had brought to them. The good news is too important to ignore or to reject. So, here's what we're going to look at as we look at the remainder of chapter four three things. Number one is let the law speak. They're going to have to look back and if you're going to say, I want to follow the law, then let's follow the law and see what it says about how long it's going to last and what all it teaches. Number two, there's a lesson to be learned from an allegory. And there's an extended one in this passage. And then finally, loving freedom in Christ. Let's begin first of all with verse 21. If you'll look at it, it's very simple, very plain, very basic. Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Are you not listening to what the law says? You profess a respect for that law. You say you love the law. Okay, what does the law say? You see, some people approach this passage and they're saying, well, Paul's talking about all law. As if there's no law that man lives under today, that they lived under a law, but we live under a grace system. Well, there is grace, and it is that grace that forgives our sins, but we do live under law, brethren. Romans 4.15 says, where there is no law... There's no transgression. We don't have a law. We don't have any sin at all. We also know that Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, that the spirit of the law in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We do live under a law. But the law to which Paul is addressing here is the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, if you will. What did that law say? And where were they missing it? What were they skipping over that Paul's going to bring to their attention? I not you listen to Jesus. In John chapter 5, verses 38 and 39, these Jews are encountering him and they're suggesting that Jesus is not right. And here's the way he responds. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent... Him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. You want to go back and look at that law. And he says, if you do, what you're going to find is prophecy regarding me, regarding Jesus Christ. If you do go back to the Old Testament, you'll read passages like Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The writer of the book of Hebrews quotes this and says, he's having reference to the coming of the new covenant, the new law. Hebrews 8, 6 and 7, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant Established upon better promises. And then he talks about that old covenant had to be faultless or there would not have been a salt, a second one. As I look at the Old Testament law and as you look at the Old Testament law, what does it say? It says, this is not the end. This is not the one and the only law. There's a greater law, a more perfect law, a more excellent law that is coming. So what Paul does, he says in chapter 4, verse 22, For it is written. That phrase is found 78 times in the Bible. That means that what was written in the Old Testament was written at the hand of God or the finger of God. Chapter 4, verse 30 says, What does Scripture say? That ought to be a question everyone ought to ask. What does Scripture say? And obviously that's a message from God. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by will of man. The holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul would chime in in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the big picture is you listen to the Old Testament And it tells you there's a coming of a better and more perfect law. If you say you respect the Old Testament law, then you ought to listen to what it says. Now the focus of this passage is verses 22 through 31. I'm going to read it. It's a little extended reading, but we're going to read this and then come back and notice a few details. For it is written... "...that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, Which is Hagar, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to the Jerusalem which now is, and is in bondage to her children. But Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, "Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear; break forth and shout, you who do not, who are not in labor, for the desolate." has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. Even so now. So what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, for just a minute or two, I want to explain to you a little bit about the way the Bible communicates. The Bible uses figures of speech. And there's four major ones, and I I do recognize there's many more, but there's four major ones that we see quite often in the Bible. One is called a simile, and it's where you compare two things using the word like or as, where the Bible speaks about our existence as the life of a flower or as a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. That's a simile. If you don't use the word like or as and use a direct comparison, that's a metaphor. A good illustration, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Or I am the door to the sheep. Obviously, Jesus is not a door, but it's a comparison. He is like a door, but you don't use the word like or as. It means it's a metaphor. If you extend it out, a simile, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. And then you would have a parable. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a sower who went forth to sow. And then you have wayside soil. You have rocky soil. You have thorny soil. Then you have good soil. You see, there's an extended use of that. And then there's allegory. Which is actually what the original word is that the New King James translates symbolic here. And it is a direct comparison where you don't use those words like or as, but it, it extends out a little bit more. And that's what he's talking about here. And I want to put a chart on the screen. I'm going to sort of go line by line so you can see the points that Paul is making here. He's going to talk about the two and he's going to make some comparisons. For instance, you have the two covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Law of Moses and the Law of Christ. And he's going to compare that to the two sons, to Ishmael and to Isaac. Ishmael was the son of a bondwoman. Isaac was the son of promise. He was the one that God said through your seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. There were two mothers. There was Hagar who was the mother of Ishmael and there was Sarah who was the mother of Isaac. And you can see the the bondwoman and the free woman, and that brings up the two places. He says, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And you say, well, what's the significance of that? That's where the Old Testament law came from. You remember Moses ascended up to the top of Mount Sinai, and there God gave him the law, Exodus chapter 20 and following And he says it corresponds to the Jerusalem, which now is. And Jerusalem had become the center, the focus of Jewish worship. That's where everything was all tied up and the temple and the worship that was in it. But then he talks about Isaac and Sarah and the new covenant representing Jerusalem from above, which is the church, which is God's people. And he, may, he pointed out that's two classes, the those in bondage and those who are free. And we're going to talk about freedom in just a minute. And he would talk about that which was born of the flesh versus that which was born of the Spirit. And if your mind just races a little bit like mine does you begin to see all these comparisons that he's using here, this extended metaphor, this allegory, if you will. But see, allegories have a purpose. You don't just use an illustration unless you're trying to make a point. And Paul is trying to make a point here about the Old Testament that some want to go back and live under. You remember verse 21? You who would... Live under the law? Desire to be under the law? You've got to listen to what it says. Let me illustrate it to you. 2 Samuel chapter 12. David has just committed adultery with Bathsheba. David has just taken the life of Uriah the Hittite. David has sinned and sinned grievously. And yet David doesn't realize the gravity of his error. And so Nathan the prophet was sent to him. And what he does, he begins, and I'm just going to summarize this for sake of time. He tells him a story about a man, two men who lived in a city. One was rich, one was poor. One had all the flocks that a man would want and herds. Another man had one little small ewe lamb that lived in his house, treated like one of his children, and was so loved, and a wayfaring stranger comes through. And the rich man goes to the poor man and takes that ewe lamb and kills it for the benefit of his visiting stranger. Verse 5, David's anger was greatly aroused against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. He'll restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then David said, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Now David knows this applies to me. Why is Paul telling the allegory in Galatians 4? Because the message applies to them. In Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 6 is another allegory. God said, now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful here... Hill, he dug it, he cleared out the stones, he planted it with the choicest vine, he built a tower. You can see in your mind the story that's happening. Here's a man who's who's going to plant a vineyard, but he's giving every detail his attention. Verse 2, the latter part says, So he expected it to bring forth grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Verse 3, Judge now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, between me and my vineyard, what more could I have done in it than I did in my, to my vineyard than I have done in it? The truth is, when you start looking at this, God's trying to teach a lesson to them. I have done everything I could to try to reach you, to try to be able to help you. The lesson applied to them. When we come to the New Testament, there's also Allegories. If you go to the book of Ephesians, to chapter 5, many of you are very familiar with the passage that talks about wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband's the head of the wife. Christ Christ's head of the church. And he's the Savior of the body. And you say, yeah, he's talking about the marriage. He's talking about the home and how we ought to work to make our marriages like God would want them. But you get to verse 32, this mystery is great, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Oh, now I see the way husbands and wives are supposed to relate to one another is exactly the way God wanted the church at Ephesus and us to relate to Him. The message was for them. The Galatians needed to see the law of God as He intended it. The message was for them. Do you want to live under that old law? Look and see what the law said. And learn from the allegory. Now very quickly, let's talk about loving freedom. Paul repeatedly uses the words free woman, free, five times in this context. You can see it. I've got them, everyone underlined. Verse 22, verse 23, verse 26, verse 30, verse 31, What's he trying to say when he talks about the freedom there? Well, I think he's got a point to emphasize. In fact, that point is going to bleed over into chapter 5 as well. But you see, this is a common theme. That the good news brought freedom. Freedom from what? John 8, 32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you that whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom from sin. Deliverance, that's good news. Last week we talked about going from a slave to a son. Now he is saying to them, you're going from bondage to freedom. Romans six seventeen and eighteen, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse twenty two, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Look where this freedom leads you. It leads you to eternal life and the blessings that are a part of it. The freedoms that the Galatians enjoy was something that they ought to love and treasure. Now here's pulling it all together. Those of us who live in this country, the land of the free, should feel blessed for the freedoms that we enjoy. We were able to assemble here this morning without the fear of Our government somehow mistreating us. We are free to be able to speak and teach God's words openly. You and I are able to freely travel from place to place and to be able to teach the gospel there as well. There are freedoms to be enjoyed as children of God. Blessings that are there to be found those who are the children of God should be thankful for the freedom we have in Christ. Christ as the Son is wanting to liberate you from your sins. We read that in John chapter 8. He's making every effort. And that's what Paul was trying to say to the Galatians. You have been set free from sin. Don't go back and be entangled again in that yoke of bondage. If you will, I want you to get your songbooks if you're going to use them. We're going to sing number 31. If you're not a Christian, why not this morning come forward and be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you're a child of God who needs to be restored and have the prayers of this congregation, we invite you and encourage you to respond as together we stand and sing.